You are listening to the One Day at a Time podcast. On this podcast, my guests share their stories of alcoholism, addiction, and how they recovered so that you can too. My hope is that you find the inspiration and resources you need to let go of what's holding you back so that you can transform into the person you were always meant to be. Ready? Here we go. Hey friend, thank you for downloading the podcast. My name is Arlena and I'll be your host. Today, my guest is Dr. Andrew Mary, aka Moz, who is also the co-host of the Daily Dose podcast. Before we jump in, I would like to invite you to share your Godshot stories that could be potentially included in my book project coming out later this year. Just to add a little bit of context to the term Godshot, it's a spiritual experience that you've had that can only be explained by God showing up in your life. Over the time I've been sober, I've had many of these experiences. Uh, For instance, the day after my mother died last year, I woke up to the most brilliant sunrise I've ever seen. The sky was ablaze with bright orange and pink and red and glimmers of golden light. I felt it to my core that it was my mom telling me that she made it safely to the other side. And I felt it so deeply that I just stood there and cried my eyes out. I knew in my heart that she was okay. And fast forward several months and a woman I know said she had a message for me that she didn't understand what it meant, but that my mother said to look for her in the clouds. And I got to tell you, my jaw hit the desk. I've been grieving her loss, but this message brought me comfort and peace and a deep knowing that my higher power was at work, even though I don't always understand it. If you have a story that you'd like to share, you can email it to me at arlena at odatchat.com and odat is spelled O-D-A-A-T. There is a deadline of June 20th to be included in the book, but if I get more, I will publish them separately on my blog at odatchat.com. Also, please be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at odatpodcast for updates about this project and daily sobriety inspiration. In today's episode, I talked with Dr. Mary, who shares his story of alcoholism, how it nearly cost him his life and his marriage to the lovely Dana, and how AA saved both. So with that, please enjoy this episode with Dr. Mary. Well, Maz, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. I had so much fun on your podcast, The Daily Dose, with you and your wife. And I was like, you have got to come on my podcast so I can hear your crazy ass story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's good to share that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it was funny because your wife and I were like, and I felt like we were talking over you quite a bit. (laughs) Oh, you know what? I, I don't feel that way at all. I mean, Dana... Dana likes she asks great questions and you know it's a shame that we we decided we shouldn't interrupt each other you should or should not <laughs> should not because oh. it kind of breaks up the flow and then everyone feels a bit weird but you know it's <laughs> we never you know we never get on each other's nerves about it it just it, it just works it does you know? it was a lot of fun I felt yeah. like you guys brought out the best in me so thanks for that it was a great experience ah well you're welcome and I wanted to hear your, your story. So um, I figured what we do, I like to start off with something called the lightning round. I like to put um, some resources at the front of the episode. Um, okay. 
So like books, did you have a favorite book that helped you in the beginning? No, I just, um, I just devoured the big book. So I, I knew what, you know, what, what was the path that I was given to, 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 to survive and to enjoy sobriety. You know, and I was in I was in a treatment center where they just they use the big book. And we also learned it's not perfect. Going to AA <laughs> meetings, they were saying, you know, it's not perfect. This isn't this doesn't work a hundred percent, but it does work. But our mission is to get you to the point where you can then decide what works for you. Right. Yeah. And um the official title of the big book is actually Alcoholics Anonymous. Um yeah. it's lovingly called refer I don't know where that started. <laughs> Well, you know, it does. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you're aware of this, but it does. You know, it, it's 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 an odd book. You're reading it in the in the the end of the first quarter of the 21st century, and this book was written in 19 in the 1930s by white men. <laughs> right, right. So you're gonna. You're. I already see where you're going with this. You're you're uh, speaking my language. And there's a chapter in it called "Chapter to the Wife." <laughs> where they lay out rules for the wife. And I cringe because we just, I go to a big book meeting. So you you just read the thing. Okay. And then when you finish it, you start again. And every time we get to the chapter for the wife, I get real uncomfortable. Do you really? Yeah. Because it's just terrible. (laughs) I mean, listen, I I appreciate that there are some good intentions, but I I always am a little like, wow, how condescending is that? (laughs) that's it and there's mansplaining in it and it's just oh yeah and even with the best intentions in the world you think really guys you you could have thought of some other way i suppose it speaks it speaks to some people so you know whatever there's that yeah i yeah there there's a i'm writing a whole aa survival guide i I don't know if i mentioned that to you when i was on your podcast Yeah. yeah and so it's sort of like how to receive this information with a certain context and perspective so that you can work the 12 steps and then, you know, get the benefit from it. And then if you need to, you know, move on to adding other things into your life. So, yeah. but it, it's, um, it's actually a really interesting text to study. There's a lot of really interesting ideas in there that really blew my mind and helped me to evolve. So it sounds like you had a similar experience. The, the things that help me most, actually, is the stories. When you get through the original book, like the first 134 pages, and I'm, we're on the fourth edition, or well, I've got the fourth edition, um, it's the, the modern stories. You know, they put stories of female alcoholics, and they put Muslims and African-Americans' stories in there. And the stories are the things that I find most helpful. Yeah, me too, which is why I sort of do the podcast and have people tell their stories because yeah. I, I feel like, you know, in the circumstances may be different, but the feelings are all the same. So yeah. I think that's what, you know, when we hear the feelings part in everyone's stories, we relate and we're like, okay, maybe I can do this thing. I mean, it uh, works that way just to the fact that you, you know you're not alone. Exactly. That is yeah. it. That is actually it. It's that connection. I'm not alone. I'm not terminally unique. And I can get sober yeah. too. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, do you have a go-to mantra or quote that you live by? <laughs> um, 
when you go to AA, there are so many, it, there are acronyms and quotes, <laughs> and even people use quotes from movies, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, whatever works, right? Whatever works. And one of the things that we actually, uh, it, it just came up because I, I'd rather watch a movie than read a, than read a book. In fact, my, my first roommate in college told me that I was going to single-handedly destroy literature because he used to read classy books. And I said, oh, yeah, I've seen the film. And it just drove him nuts. <laughs> drove him mad. That's funny. Um, but, you know, there's the Shawshank Redemption, you know, get busy, get busy living or get busy dying. We mm. use that one a lot. I love that one. Yeah. Because it's absolutely Yeah, it speaks to dispelling fear. I love that. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, just weird quotes like, you know, uh, I can't think of one off, off the top of my head. But yeah, so we just use quotes to, to keep us going, you know, just uh, and there's some weird stories that you hear from other um, people in AA that stick with you as well. Yeah, so absolutely. You, you kind of remember them. Yeah, I, you know, obviously for me, you know, like one day at a time is um, something that has helped me a lot because they say that depression is about thinking about the past or anxiety is about thinking about the future. And so, especially lately there's, man, the world just seems like it's on fire from the abortion yeah. issues, political issues, uh, war. There's just so much going on in the world that I can't, I can't solve the world's problems. And so I have to bring myself back to one day at a time right here, right now. That's kind yeah. of next right thing. And that's and one of the things about AA is you actually learn that this advice could be given to everybody. Yeah. Now, one day at a time could actually save quite a lot of lot of hardships going on. And you think, okay, let's just deal with this first. Don't worry about what's next. Just get this fixed and then move on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I find that uh, you know the twelve steps can be applied to just about everything. Yep. They absolutely can. <laughs> so good. Do you have a regular self-care or recovery routine? Like, do you try to hit a certain number of meetings a week? Do you have a morning practice? What does that look like for you? Um, my wife got me um, an actual framed um, serenity prayer. It's, you know, it's um, an art, a local artist did it in calligraphy. And I got it framed. It's right on the side of the wall. So it's the first thing I see when I get out of bed in the morning. So I don't, I mean, it, I, I don't read it out loud or anything. Just knowing it's there actually helps. Oh. Um, what I do every morning, um, we were taught, and it's something that I, you know, if you do one thing every morning, then you've accomplished something. So you can actually have that mindset of what's next. Mm -hmm. So every morning after I've aired it for about 30 minutes, an hour, I make the bed. So that's the first thing, you know, it's not. And I've told this to people and some people have said that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And I've had people who have been sober for 30 years who have come back to me and said, you know what? I've been making the bed since you since you last talked. Said, it's great. It gives them a better mindset. Because, you know, what? I get into bed at night and my bed's made. You know, I usually just throw the covers back over me. So getting into bed in a made bed, I think I actually sleep better. Isn't that something? So, yeah, yeah, there's something about that, an accomplishment first thing in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I do. Make the bed every day. Do you, do you practice, uh, sorry, do you practice meditation or prayer in the morning? I, I, I don't. Um, a very, a very old friend of mine, um, she does a mindfulness for life podcast. She, you know, Ooh. she's Scottish. She, so she lives in the, in the north of England now. Yeah. 
Um, she told me when last time I was talking to her that I just said I, I tried meditation. I was an AA, but all I do is really just take a deep cleansing breath. And she goes, actually, that's the start to any meditation. Yeah. yeah so just breathe. I do that sometimes. I just, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but it does make me feel slightly better. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't solve everything, but it makes me. It gives you a pause to think. All right, what can I do? I haven't. I haven't buggered this up. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like there's a little bit of a delay on the Zoom. I apologize if I'm talking over you. Um, there is something about the vagus nerve that when that deep breathing begins to regulate the vagus nerve, which is responsible. I believe someone's going to call me out on this. I believe for regulating um, your neurotransmitters. And so that deep breathing, you know, begins to help with the re regulation of emotion you know, yeah. I feel like so much of sobriety is about emotion management. So what you're doing, you know, the deep cleansing breaths in the morning, making your bed, that mindful practice that that sets your day up for emotion management, it seems like. And it, it helps me. I don't know. No, whatever people do doesn't help everyone. But for me, just doing that, taking a deep breath every now and then, it just reminds me that I can do stuff if I put my mind to it. And it's a weird thing of like, I've already done something important today. What can I do next? Right, right. And I like what you said about pausing, just pausing. Yeah, just take a minute. We don't have to rush through everything. You said your friend's podcast was called Mindfulness for Life? Yes. I will put that in the show notes and check that out. Oh, I love you. finding new podcasts. So that's, a, that's an awesome resource. Um, what's one thing you wish you knew when you first got sober? One thing I wish I knew when I first got sober. Oh, I think it was probably I wish I knew what I'd actually be putting Dana through before I got sober because mm -hmm. I had absolutely no idea. You do become self-absorbed and clueless and you think you're trying to manage stuff and you you kind of forget everything that's going on around you. So that's, I think, would be on the top of my list. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. We, we do sort of wake up and realize how we've been affecting the people around us. I had the yeah. same experience. Yeah. I was like, oh, you know, that awkward moment where you realize you're the asshole. Yes. I can. Yes. <laughs> That's it. That is exactly it. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's well, awkward. Wait, I did that? Yeah. And you're still talking to me? <laughs> I know. I was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Right. Yeah. No, that's a better response. <laughs> well that's funny what do you guys do for fun oh um sometimes we just talk we walk um we made a promise after our, our golden retriever passed that we won't stop walking so oh. we're, we're an oddity in our neighborhood with two people out walking just walking yeah out in nature that's beautiful yeah, yeah. you know we, we try and make it as active as possible we bike i mean we go to spin class together which is not it's not something you can talk to each other during. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Not if you're doing do it right. Yeah. We, you know, we go when when the when the when it's summer, we go for bike rides. We, you know, or sometimes we just some Saturdays we just walk the seventeen blocks to downtown and have lunch, and then walk seventeen blocks home because we can justify having dessert if we have to walk there and back <laughs> to get it. <laughs> That's awesome. And this year, we actually took up um, cross-country skiing, which, believe it or not, is a blast. <laughs> uh, that sounds fabulous. I have never tried that. How did you start? Um, how did we start? We went and 
we went to a place called Play It Again, Play It Again Sport, where you can buy secondhand equipment. Mm-hmm. So we basically bought the cheapest stuff that we could get. We watched a YouTube video and we just went. <laughs> I so I watched. That. I watched a bit three times of how to get up when you fall over because I thought I'm going to need to know this, <laughs> and I did. Brilliant. Um, yeah, and we just we just took it we just took it slow. That's fun. We're not going to be in an Olympic squad anytime soon, but we can you know we can and it, it, it you but it's really great exercise. Yeah, and you see nature. And you see nature. You know, when I was on your podcast, you had briefly mentioned that you just recently lost your your puppy. And I'm so sorry to hear oh, that. I, well, you know, there's something so horrible about losing a beloved, a beloved pet, uh, especially in sobriety, because, you know, we feel it so much more. Yeah, I mean, it was it was sad. But, you know, people, people were saying it ain't all you better look out for Maz. That might be a trigger. And it was, yes, it was a sad day. It yeah. was a terrible sad day, but, you know, she had, we got her when she was five and a half weeks old and she was 14 and a half when she died. Wow. That's a good one. You know, and she went, she was just, she was a golden retriever. So, you know, that's a long time for a golden retriever to live. And we, we made, you know, I wasn't going to be the person to have one of those handles around her back to help her walk. Yeah. Yeah, we went. She had a checkup, and the vet said, "You know, she's. It may be time to let her just go to sleep." So we took yeah. her home. We fed her. Um, we FaceTimed with Quinn because technically Lily was Quinn's dog. Okay. Um, and my mom and her partner Mike. Mike was more devastated than us to see <laughs> Lily go. And she had a fantastic last day. She was eating and happy right up to the last second. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Go out that way. no that's beautiful i'm sorry for your loss i just want to acknowledge that yeah i've i've been through that a couple times it's just horrible so but i'm glad that um you continued walking in her in her honor uh we did we have noticed um since spring finally came to north dakota that we now have more bunnies in our backyard so lily did a better job of keeping them out than we actually both thought she would because sometimes she just lie in the deck and watch them eat Dana's kale but now that these rabbits are everywhere (laughs) are they really yeah well I hear rabbits are a sign of good luck so oh well then we got plenty here (laughs) (laughs) there's always that awesome well uh what I would love to hear is your your story and you're familiar with what it was like what happened what it's like now format um I am sort of an interrupter but I'll try not to be no Uh, that's fine you interrupt away um I I would love to hear I'm always fascinated to hear about people's family of origin you know what was what it was like for you as a child did your parents drink um, were, were there experiences that you felt contributed to your drinking later? So anything you feel like sharing? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, if, if this doesn't make sense, please interrupt and ask me to go, if I have to go back a step. Okay. So, so I mean, so I'll start with saying that my, my, one of my counselors said that I was going to be in good shape for recovery because I was a late onset alcoholic. I never, I, uh, so my, both my grandparents were alcoholics. There's, you know, um, um, it's, it's right. It is in our family, but there are other people who just never drank at all. One of them was my dad. Now my mother 
hardly ever drank. My dad, my dad, in Ireland they have this thing called um, they call the pioneers. So you take a pledge as a Roman Catholic never to drink alcohol. So when my dad was fifteen, he got drunk. Um, and then swore he'd never do it again. So he became a pioneer. And he also became a pioneer because he liked playing soccer instead of Gaelic football. And the pioneers had a soccer team. So he never drank and he played soccer. And when I was, when I was, so this one, he, yeah, he drank when he was 15. He got drunk once when he was 15 and said never again. And he never drank for the rest of his life. So when I was a kid, you know, when we go to family reunions or we'd go to Ireland for holidays, I, I was always allowed to drink like the head off a pint of Guinness by one of my uncles. And that's, you know, that was it. And then when I got to being a teenager, my parents knew his, him and his friends would be going out because you can drink legally in England at 18. So I got to 14 or 15 and said, yeah, yeah. they're going to be going to parties and someone's going to bring alcohol. So they, around them, when we went out for dinner, they'd let me have a beer. And they'd watch me like a hawk. And when I, and I'd have two, and then I'd say, no, I'm good. And I did that for years. And they said, he's good. And I went to college. I went to grad school. Um, I, I spent a decade in college and I knew, always knew when to stop drinking. I never had a drink problem. And then suddenly, when I started getting older, you know, when you start getting older and um, you'd start going, like, you, you, you didn't drink during a week and think, Friday night, let's go. And I, I only just know now that that's binge drinking, which is actually worse, almost. You know, you, but, you know, you, I never ended up, I never, I never wake up in a field or wake up hanging out of a tree or anything like that. You know, it's just, I never did any of that. Um, so my dad, my dad did just, did die um, when I was 29. He died of cancer. You know, he died of liver cancer, a person who never drank dying of liver cancer. So I was very sad about that. I don't know. I don't know what triggered me to start drinking. I got, I, I started, you know, I got through, I'm also an oddity as a, as a biologist. I've been in continuous educational employment since I left high school. A lot of my friends never put, so I went to college. I got asked to stay to do a master's degree. I got a job. I left that to go back to grad school to get a PhD. I immediately got my first job as a postdoc. I got. I had choices to do my second one, and I decided to come to America. I had a job there. I got another job at a university in America that I've kept, even though I, I slipped into alcoholism. And now I'm going to be the department chair. So, yeah, so there were, there were some issues, people at work, about doing things. But I, I just remember I kind of got fed up. And I knew I was drinking slightly more, but I didn't think it was a problem. So my alcoholism crept up on me. You know, I'd always, I'd always tell Dana, oh, you know, I'm only, I'm only having a drink a night. And then I believed I was, but it turned out I was having three or four, but I, I didn't admit to that. So it was a slow progression. How old were you at this time? I was 34. Maybe I'll probably say when I did start drinking heavily, I may have been about 36. Okay. So that was about seven years after your father passed away. Yeah. So I can't even think if that was a connection because people ask me all the time, what, what, what was your trigger point? I have absolutely no idea. I knew I was getting depressed and I knew I was just drinking at night. 
And I, I try to do this thing. Well, I even try to justify it when we were talking about this when I started rehab. I'd always say, oh, I never drank during the morning. I never drank before I drove. And my counselor said, really? You're a bright guy. What do you think your blood alcohol level would have been if that actually pulled you over? I think, yeah, I'd have been screwed. But, <laughs> but I, in my mind, I was trying to be, yeah, I come home and do that. I never drank at work. A lot of people didn't never drank at work. It, to me, I, looking back on it, I think going to work was my escape from being around alcohol. And I'd always do my job. And I, the, I think the worst thing that happened to me, and I've talked to Dana about this, is I still did my job well enough and I got good enough student evaluations. And I'm at a unionized university that they couldn't do anything because I was doing my job. And then when people would turn against me and say, you're not doing this anymore. And I never worked out. I just got angry at them because I didn't realize that I had a drink problem. When did you decide that uh, you're when did you decide for yourself that your drinking was a problem? Did something happen? Did you have like a turning point or a moment of clarity? I, I, I did. Um, and here's what it was uh, about a week before um my turning point started i got a nosebleed at work i was teaching a night an evening class i just got a nosebleed that wouldn't stop so i canceled my class i went home i had dinner with, with dana um and at this time i didn't even know how annoyed she was with me she was kind of just going why am i married to you you used to be awesome and i and i thought she was just annoyed and of course i didn't think i i had any problem at all had nothing to do with me <laughs> i had nothing to do with me i'm perfect I went downstairs and I continued to bleed. And I was trying to do some work. And of course, I was drinking because I thought oh, this will stop the bleeding because that's how you think at some point. Um, and I woke her up at about two o'clock in the morning. I thought, I've got to go to work. I've got to go. You've got to take me to the hospital because there's something going on here. And she went into the bathroom and I was bleeding everywhere. And I was trying to clear it up. And it was just, it looked like I'd slaughtered something in there. So she took me to the hospital. Um, they, they cauterized my nose and said they did some blood work and said, you have basically almost no red blood cells in your blood. So they admitted me to hospital. And I just kept lying. I actually let them do a bone biopsy on me because I was lying about the fact that I wasn't drinking a lot. I said, no, I have one drink a day. They said, well, you might have leukemia. We have to do a biopsy. Fine. So <laughs> Go ahead. I let them do I let them, and I've told a friend of ours who's a medical doctor, she says, if you let them do a, she's my God, she said, just, and what you can do at that point, just laugh at it. So That's I was in so such denial. That's so painful too, right? They basically yeah, drill a hole in, in your hip. hip. <laughs> yeah, I said, go ahead, drill that hole. <laughs> so I was in hospital for three days, and Dana um, stayed with me because Lily was still alive at the time. She says, I've got to go and let the dog out, go out, and I've got, I, I do have a job. I'll come back and see you. So she left and I was supposed to have a liver biopsy the next day and I was still in denial. And then I woke up a week later because um, I hadn't drunk for three days and apparently I went mad and went into withdrawal and they had to stick me in a coma for a week. Oh my goodness. So you were, okay, so you were drinking so much that you were chemically dependent. I was, I was a pound. I went now that I look back at it and I say this with absolute shame. I was drinking a bottle of Jim Bean a day. A bottle, a big bottle, I would assume. Like a handle? No. No, I was going through one of those every two days, but I was actually drinking like 
half of it a day. So like a yeah. 750, a bottle of whiskey I was drinking a day. That Did you do that thing where you, where you would buy, buy it from different places? <laughs> I went to different liquor stores. I bought plastic and I'm not alone in this. I bought the plastic travel ones because, oh. and loads of people have said this to me. Oh yeah. Cause this isn't making as much, as much noise. Does it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're easy to hide. You can hide in places too. Yeah, right. They don't make as much as much noise when the garbage man comes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, the things we do. That's intense. Okay, so they put you in a medically induced coma for yeah. a week, did you say? Yeah. I was in there a week and they would they were saying to Dana, you know, if he comes out of this, he might be a completely different person. And some actually said he might not come out of this. If. Wow, that is so scary. So I woke up and I was completely unaware of what was going on. Mm. I had no idea what was happening. What was it like for you to come out of a, a week-long induced coma and to hear that, like, hey, we had to put you in a, a coma for an entire week? That must have been so shocking. I'm glad you asked that question because at the time I was kind of numb. And five years past that, looking back on it, I think I was relieved. There's a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of people that said what kept them from drinking or stopping from, what kept them drinking was the idea of what would happen to them if they stopped drinking. Whereas I was lucky enough to be in a hospital when that happened, so they just stuck me in it. I've heard people talk about going through withdrawal, and I just, oh, my God, I didn't actually, I have no memory of going through withdrawal. Well, you're an example of somebody that can go through the uh, coma-induced uh, detox and still get and still stay sober, right? It, you don't have Ugh. to have the pain of detox to deter you from drinking ever again. So did you go right into uh, rehab after that? So I, if I'm getting this story right, so I woke up after six days, um, because that, that happened the 1st of February. So that's my sobriety date. That's what we, we go. And some people technically say, you know, it was before that. You know, it was, a, it was a week before that, if you want. I said, yeah, but I think putting my sobriety back to the to the day I last actually physically had a drink is a bit of a cheat because I was in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do it from the day I was awake. So that's why I had a choice. Right. Yeah, I don't know why that's so yeah, funny. Any idiot cannot drink if they're unconscious. In a coma. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't really does it care. Yeah, well done. (laughs) Yeah, good good job. Do you sort of think it's funny how we get so legalistic about little things like that, like sobriety dates and what counts and what doesn't count? It it is funny, but I just take it as part and parcel. You know, some people get annoyed about it. I just think I don't care. I don't drink. I'm a happy (laughs) alcoholic. I don't drink. I don't care. It doesn't you matter. can you can make any argument of one. I'm sober and I'm happy. I don't care. Yeah, it's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, let's let's. Uh... One of, and one of the things for me when I was in hospital, so I was in hospital after me coma. I think for about another week. It must because it was it was sixteen days total because I went to rehab on my forty seventh birthday, which was the sixteenth of it. Oh, he went to rehab for your birthday. That's yeah. fun. I remember when I went into rehab. Um, she said to me, date of birth. I said, well, today, 1970. I said, what a way to spend my 47th birthday. And this woman said this to me. Yes, but your 48th is going to be a lot better. Oh, 
that's so sweet. She was dead right because they've been awesome ever since. That's amazing. You said your birthday is February 1st? No, my birthday is February the 16th. But my sobriety birthday. Yeah. Or as I like to call it, your belly button birthday. (laughs) Your belly button birthday, yeah. No, uh, so my husband's birthday is February 2nd, 1970. So I just thought that was funny. I was like, wow, you can Uh, the same age. My roommate in in hospital when I when I um when I got out of the coma, my roommate was had been taken in. He crashed his truck because he was drunk, and his girlfriend was in. They where they put an extra bed in there so his girlfriend could lie next to him. Um, and I could hear him when, so I was awake for about three days, and they were asking him the questions they were asking me. You know, every time they came in, they asked him, "Do you know what day it was? What's your birthday?" You know, it was things like, you know, Jim was current president of the United States. And this dude didn't have a freaking clue. He had no idea when he was born. He had no idea what his, you know, his parents' names were. Oh, wow. And he was like that for about a week. And this is the thing that one of the things that has kept me sober ever since. So these little moments, because I shook his hand when he left and I said, good, and he said, good luck to you. I said, oh, my God, good luck for you. And he said to me, it's too late for me. And that's one of the things that has has always been back here that I never want that to happen. Now I it was I've dodged a huge bullet. I I feel ashamed, but not ashamed enough that it's going to ruin my life. I feel ashamed enough to move on and say, "Let's keep going." And that's not bad for a Catholic to stop (laughs) at a certain amount of shame. You know what's (laughs) interesting. I interviewed uh, Dr. Anna Lemke. She wrote a book called Dopamine Nation, and she speaks about Alcoholics Anonymous and the idea of pro-social shame. And it's almost, isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. uh, She speaks of it in terms of being able to use the feeling of shame as a motivator or in in a positive way. Like, not all shame is bad or destructive we we um are very sensitive i think in the 12-step programs and people with trauma are very sensitive to shame but not all of it is bad and it sounds like you're use you're using it as leverage to support your recovery is that a fair statement yeah 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 it is you know and um yeah so i remember that and then um oh just to tell the whole story, um, you should get Dana on to, to, to get the other side of this. <laughs> oh, I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there was an argument that I remember because um, this social worker came to see me and I was still under the impression that I could fix myself. I thought, right, I'm sober. I've got clarity of thought. Bring it. I can do it. I can go back to work. Uh, so this social worker put the idea in my head that I could go to um night release so go home just go to work and then spend three hours a night every night in an aa meeting and dana said yeah no that's not happening so she came and uh, subtly suggested to me that if i don't go into rehab i won't be coming home okay like impatient Uh, yeah she said you have to do it and then she even said to me i don't care if it doesn't work and i'll deal with it if it doesn't work but i need you for us to do it Wow. which was a compelling argument. <laughs> and I'm very glad I said yes. That's a compelling argument. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, so was it like a 30-day, th- 28 days? It was six weeks. 
Oh my goodness, that's a good one. So I spent, I went in on my birthday. Um, the first week was tough because, um, and I, my my counselor uh, Joanne Joanne Spearing, bless her, I I owe this woman my life to be honest with you. She just ripped me a new one about I was in there a week and I kept saying I'm good I'm fine I, I soon as I get out of here yes I can do all this I'm good but she said to me um you know what you're hearing everything I'm saying to you but you're not listening and I still I to this day I know the difference between those two statements and I think I always will she also said to me I don't want to hear the word but out of your mouth because I was making an excuse for everything and I don't I think in five years you know, five years, three months, two weeks and three days, I have never said the word but in a sentence unless it's appropriate to do so. That has nothing to do with what I've just done. That's so funny. And I think we all do it when we first get sober is, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah but. Yeah. <laughs> so she brought Dana in completely unawares to me. She brought Dana in to talk to my group. And she had a massive argument with me because she gave me a bit of homework and I didn't bother doing it because I thought there was nothing wrong with it. What was the homework? Do you remember? It, it was it was a questionnaire about how you feel about it was a it was a psycho- psychological sociological thing about you know feelings and I thought I don't need this I'm fine. Um, which was if if one of my students had done that I would have flogged them. I <laughs> <laughs> mean, so you know I was just in a complete mess. So she brought Dana in, and that day kind of really turned me around. Yeah. I sat, in a, I sat in Dana's car in the parking lot. She just screamed at me. I went back in and everyone went, dude, you came back. They thought I had a bet. I said, well, we'll never see him again. <laughs> and it's I just turned uncommon. it around. Um, and for the next three weeks, I listened. I realized there was something wrong with me. I started paying attention. I started actually understanding what we were doing and I embraced it. And I got started realizing that I... It, it wasn't I'm perfect, is I need fixing. Mm. And that was just amazing. So about four weeks, about after about four weeks, Joanne called me into her office and she said, Maz. And I thought, what have I done? <laughs> what what have I done wrong? I think I'm doing everything right. She goes, So how do you feel if you went home tonight and were here by 8:30? So it was a it was a weekend. It was a Thursday night, actually, because they always take you in or let you out on a thir- or Tuesday or a Thursday. If you go home Thursday night, tomorrow you come back at 8.30, and then for the next three weeks or two weeks at least, you come in at 8.30 to 3.30, and you do um, inpatient or outpatient with us. And I, 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 th- I still, to this day, I think was a test, because the first thing I said was, let's check with Dana. So she phoned Dana up and Dana, she explained to Dana, I could hear Dana on the phone going, oh my God, yes, I'll be there at 4.30. So, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you this story now. And this, whoever listens to this, this is not what you should do your first night home from a rehabilitation center. Do not do this. It's just, for me, it worked. Oh, okay. Dana, yes, I know. <laughs> you sat up a bit. So what Dana did, we got home and Dana, we, Dana made dinner and then she slammed the head, her hand on the, on the counter. And I said, well, what's the matter? She says, I can't believe I can't just open a, a glass of wine because you're an alcoholic. And we live about 30 yards from a really nice local restaurant and wine bar. And I said to Dana, well, 
let's go across the street and I'll have a lemonade and you have a glass of wine. And if this goes pear-shaped, you can take me back to rehab. <laughs> she went, really? I said, well, we've got to find out somehow. So mm-hmm. we walked across the street. I had a lovely lemonade. She had a glass of wine. And we came home. She goes, how do you feel? I went, great. And I, <laughs> I went in the next day and told Joanne what I did. And she looked at me and went, are you insane? Are said, you mad? I'm fine. So she breathalyzed me. I said, yeah, I told you. She said, have you told anyone you did this? I said, no. She said, well, don't, because that was stupid. Because that was stupid. But it worked. I just knew then I could go out and have a meal out and not panic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had that sense of like, too, like when I was done, I was done. And maybe you just had that sense that you were just done. Yeah, I yeah. was. I've, I, and I, I can't believe how lucky I am. One of my sponsors has to go, has to. He said he has to go to a 7.30 AA meeting every day of the week. Because that's it. he said, I wake up and I think about drinking. Wow. I don't. Yeah, me neither. I, I just feel like, now I'm not complacent. I, I don't go to AA meetings every week. And I, I, if you're interested, I'll tell you that little story. I go because I'd like to go, not because I, I need to go. And if I ever think I need to go, I really will go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could, I, I just have, I'm just happy to live my life. And a, a really, really wise man said to me, he retired and moved to Arizona. He was, uh, he was sober 38 years before he moved to Arizona. Well, he still is sober. That's the last time I saw him. He, he, he said to me, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm, a, I'm in a bit of a tears because Dana wants me to go out for a, a meal with friends on next Friday night, but I'll miss AA. And he said, he sat me down and he said, if you start missing your life because you're in AA, nothing's going to change. He said, you miss so much of your life drinking. If you have a chance to go out and miss an AA meeting and you're cool about it and you have your plan in, in your, your backup plan in place, he said, you need to live your life. And yeah. I've never forgotten it. Yeah. That's, so, you that's know, we learned. That's great yeah, advice. They, I mean, we need to, I mean, the whole purpose is to get back into life, not to yeah. hide out in meetings. I mean, we learned that we have backup plans. You know, you have a plan A, a plan B, and even down to a plan Z or Z. <laughs> so, right, you know, when we went to our first gala, so we went to like a, for, for the Fog and Moorwood Symphony, there's a, there was a, um, a fundraising gala. So, you know, the plan with those is to get everyone drunk and they hope you've got your checkbook. Right. So there was drink everywhere, but they, I just sat there drinking, sipping me Diet Coke, quite happy. But I have, we had plans. So if we got too much, I would initially leave, walk out the room and walk around the, the corridor of the hotel that had three or four conference rooms. If that didn't work, I was going to go outside and walk around in the fresh air. And if that didn't work, I was going to tell Dane and we would make a little white lie up and say, oh, you know, we've got to go and look after the dog. Uh, but I didn't need any of that. I still have plans. And the first big trips we took, I, w- I looked up AA meetings of where we were going in case I needed to go to one. So if you plan that, that and you know you've got a safety net, you can have, you can live your life. Yeah, that's the whole point, right? Give it up, get out there and live your life. Um, and, and so over the five years that you've been sober, I know, especially now that you and Dana do a lot of work in helping people with relationships. What do you see are some of the common problems and solutions that you deal with in married couples that are getting sober? I know some people in AA that 
they've got divorced and one of these guys said i got to tell you this and he, we were in a little um meeting and he said I'm, I'm getting divorced he said like you know i got sober and i realized that i i have nothing in common with my wife because she's still drinking or there was a, a other one that said i just we just have nothing i i'm sober i've moved on she hasn't or I, you get the flip you know um I've moved on. He hasn't. Um, people blame each other. You know, um, they can't get over that. One of them resents the other one for having a drink in front of them. I think, why, why are you resenting someone who isn't an alcoholic having an alcoholic drink? They're not the one with the problem. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a, I always wondered, like, so I always wondered how that would work because uh, both my husband and I are sober, but I do know lots of people who have a spouse who is, is not sober. And it seems like if you have decided for yourself that, and are very clear that like, if I decided I just can't drink and that's, that's all about me and you do what you want, you know, then, then that, that can be okay. I mean, you know, a friend of ours, Betsy Birmingham, she's a she's a dean of a college in Canada now. She said to me way before I even I've known a woman for 20 years. This is even before I actually had a drinking problem, became an alcoholic. She'd been a long time alcoholic enjoying sobriety. She said, You have no idea how many fun non-alcoholic drinks there are. And she was absolutely right. Well, we, you know, we went to um Hawaii. Um, on a holiday for spring break and i just i don't have them a lot because they're like liquid cheesecake i love non-alcoholic pina coladas they're <laughs> awesome cheesecake. they're about a, a thousand calories, calories. <laughs> yeah. but they're fantastic yeah well i was at a conference with dana um 2018 we went to montreal uh, i've been to france many times because you know it's a, it's a it's a small hop from england but Montreal is a place where you actually start thinking you're in France. You forget you're in Canada. <laughs> so we were watching the World Cup final in a fantastic French bar overlooking the quayside and the dock in Montreal, watching the World Cup final. It was We went to see it because it was France, it was France-Croatia. I was in the middle of this conference, and when we got back, people said, where have you been? I said, I was by the quayside watching the World Cup final. They went, oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but I had a plate. Of, I had a plate of fries and four virgin pina coladas, and I had a blast. <laughs> you had like four thousand calories. <laughs> yeah, I, I consumed the weight of an elephant in sugar, but I had a really good time. <laughs> it was really fun. I feel like the only thing that has any flavor are calories and cholesterol and sugar. <laughs> yeah. That's but I awesome. use, I, I when we go out, I I, I like I, I drink a non-alcoholic beer. Um, because I never really drank beer and I've never experienced, oh, I could just have a real one. I, I just have no interest in drinking alcohol and no al non-alcoholic beers are actually quite tasty. Yeah, so it's so interesting because I feel like I've sort of changed my mind about non-alcoholic beverages, um, you know, like wine and beer specifically. And I know now that there's even like non-alcoholic uh, hard liquors <laughs> And it kind of, I used to think, well, that makes no sense. I don't do pretend heroin or smoke pretend weed. You know what I mean? It's like, what, yeah, I, I, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of don't get it, and I realized that. Um, but then I talked to a gal. Hi, Dana. 
<laughs> she just popped in the room. I realized. Well, she just bought me another coffee, bless her. Oh, isn't that sweet? I just realized that uh, I t- so I talked to a gal who said that the non-alcoholic beer saved her in the beginning. Like yeah, she I can was see that. convinced that it made her still feel a part of, um, and and it sort of eased her transition in the beginning. And I just thought, well, that isn't that just the longer I'm sober, the less I know what's right for uh, you know I don't know what's right for anyone else, honestly. But I just, I just, cho- I was, I was told that it's, it's a bad idea. So I was so desperate to be sober. I just did what I was told. Oh, I did. I, I really hummed and hard over it because I, I kind of had a 50-50 split. There's alcohol in it. Some have 0.05% alcohol in them. Some have absolutely none. Yeah. But, and, you know, I, I'm a plant biologist. So I also know this to be true because I actually looked up and found the original reference when Heineken zeros, it was Heineken zero. So they changed it to Heineken naught point. They didn't write the word zero. They had the the, the numbers naught point naught. Right. It was actually naught point naught three percent alcohol on average in a non-alcoholic Heineken. But there is more alcohol in a carrot if you boil it because of the chemical reactions than there is in that beer. Isn't that something? Yeah, I always, yeah. I whenever I put, um, you know, in the age of COVID, you know, everyone's got gallons of um, hand sanitizer, and it's like m- mostly alcohol, yeah. right? So, I, I always, I always wondered. I go, I wonder how much alcohol I'm absorbing through my skin. If you really want to think about that, it's it's actually quite frightening. You know, one of the things you don't think about it, and someone said, you know, you can't use mouthwash ever again. Because in most mouthwash, it's 20% yeah. alcohol. Yeah. So you, but you can get the non-alcoholic ones. Yeah. I wish they'd make the things. travel, you know, when you're going away in a plane, you can oh. only bring three hours. I wish they'd make non-alcoholic travel ones. Because the first thing I've got to do now when I go anywhere is go and buy non-alcoholic mouthwash. <laughs> yeah, all the alcohol-free stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, I think I really appreciate that a lot of manufacturers like NyQuil makes like alcohol-free yes, medicine. They do. I like Listerine that has alcohol-free mouthwash. And so it is nice. But that is interesting. I think everybody has to decide that for themselves if they're going to try non-alcoholic beer or wine or like vodka or like, yeah, I just, to me, it doesn't really make sense. I, I would never drink a non-alcoholic whiskey because of the taste. Yeah. I didn't, I don't want it to be a trigger. Yeah. That's now, what I was I, afraid of. But see, the beer didn't do it. But um, when I was about 11 months sober, Dana said to me, what do you miss? I said, you know what? When we, I used to like, I always equate like a nice something with like spaghetti or, angel hair pasta in it with having a glass of white wine i said i don't know why but if you said to me now how about pesto and and angel hair pasta for dinner what would you like and i said yeah and a glass of white wine i said that's what goes through my head and i said i don't want to start drinking white wine so don't get me wrong so we walked over to bernie's our local liquor store and got a alcohol-free wine or de-alcohol wine they call them i don't know if you've ever had they're disgust. <laughs> Do you know, I have to confess, I have used non-alcohol or alcohol-free white wine for uh, a cooking recipe. 
Like I couldn't even bring myself to buy the real wine yeah. for cooking because I didn't like the fumes. I know it gets cooked. No. The alcohol gets cooked out no. apparently. Yeah. But I don't. I don't but, even mess with it. I'm too. No, I, afraid. Right, I was. I was delighted. It tasted so bad. I, thought, oh. right, I don't need any. I don't need to think about non-alcoholic wine ever again because it was so bad. That is so funny. Yeah. Well, okay. But so that's. Go ahead. The only downside about all of this is for some there's some there's some weird quirk in in the state of North Dakota and Minnesota <laughs> is you can buy all these wonderful non-alcoholic beers from a liquor store. <laughs> you got to walk into the lion's den to get your alcohol-free drink. I don't mind doing that, but once um, and Dana got annoyed of herself. I've been sober about two years, and she said to me, "Oh, you got to say I'm going sticking at Bernie's to get me." non-alcoholic beer she's oh can you get me a bottle of wine i thought sure and i nearly it's probably the closest i've ever had to been having a panic attack was trying to i oh, was wow. in the, the line and i i i handed it to them and i put me non-alcoholic beer down and i didn't buy anything i left and i went and told day <laughs> and i said i'm so I, could, I couldn't do it and then she burst into tears because she felt so bad about the fact that oh, i was in that episode. Oh. She's never asked. She just said, never buy me anything. She said, even if you know I want something, get your stuff, come back, and I'll walk across with you. And we just do that instead. Oh, but I, sweet. Yeah. That was a terrible experience for me. It was Wow. I, as I thought, it's not even for me. What are you doing? I thought, oh, come on. And I just completely I just totally had some weird reaction that anyone ever thinking I was buying anything alcoholic. I hear you. Okay, I just have to tell you a quick little story. So I'm an obsessive cookie decorator. <laughs> so it's a whole thing. Don't even. <laughs> However, I uh, and I'm on Instagram watching all these women use this technique with gold powder stuff, and they say that you have to use it, mix it with something that has a high alcohol content, like Everclear or yeah. And I, and I was like, what? Because I was using clear vanilla extract because there's a little bit of alcohol but it wasn't when you paint it on it's not smooth like it doesn't look like anyway it's a whole thing so they said yeah i don't yeah so they were like you need a high something with high alcohol to content so i live in idaho where you you can only buy hard alcohol in a liquor store same right so i walk into (laughs) i felt like I felt like I was doing something really wa- wrong. I walked into the liquor store to get one of those teensy bottles. I don't even know how many ounces it is. It's probably like two or three ounces, maybe. I don't even know. But one of those teeny tiny little bottles of hard alcohol. And I felt so uncomfortable. And th- they were right by the register. I had kind of walked around. I didn't see Everclear. I walked around and I was like, what am I doing in here? I felt like I was, in- I-, I felt like I was doing something wrong. And then there were people queuing up at the register and I was too embarrassed or uncomfortable. I don't know what was going on to, to grab one of those little things. And I left and I had my 21 year old son go buy it for me. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Speaking of those little bottles, I never bought them when I was drinking. Yeah. Um, Cause why? <laughs> because I, here's why I actually remember looking back on this. I thought I would never buy them because that's the sign of an alcohol. So funny the arbitrary the yeah. yeah the arbitrary little yeah. rules that we have of what an al- what it means to be alcoholic yeah I-, I love that when you get sober that you get to sort of redefine so many things <clears throat> so many not, not the least of which is our own identity 
right? You get to reestablish yeah. your identity and be who you want to be. I also notice how many al- how much advertising goes in the alcohol since I've been sober. <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. And they really try and make it real sexy as well. Yeah, it's not. It's so funny. People are like, oh, I thought I was so funny and I was so sexy and sex was great and blah, blah. I was like, you, you're a hot mess. I was a hot mess. That's not attractive. A sloppy drunk is not attractive. Easy, uh, but not attractive. Yeah. There's a huge difference. <laughs> Big difference, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what they say, with age comes wisdom. <laughs> well, I'm still waiting. <laughs> Dana always says that a good education is wasted on the young. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Youth is wasted on the young. Well, listen, I, you know, I'm, I, I just adore you and your wife. I, I love the work. I love your podcast, the work that you're doing. You. You're coming from such a sweet heart centered place, which I really appreciate. And um, congratulations on your, your five years and your willingness to be open about your recovery so that other people can look at you and go, oh, you know, we're not so different, right? Like maybe I can admit that, you know, this guy looks pretty, you know, cleaned up. You're a doctor, you're, you're a professor and happily oh married. Oh my God. Can I just tell you one more little story? Please. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so um, we had a guest on called Patty. She uh, is a licensed counselor and she set up this thing in Fargo called Soul Solutions. It's a treatment center next to a, just a coffee shop. And the coffee shop, it's annoying. Anyone can go to the coffee shop. It just happens to be next to a, a, a chemical addiction center. Um, <clears throat> so we went there and, we, and she just, she does great work. She, um, and this thing's now up and running. But the, the guy who made us our coffee was a recovering alcoholic. And we, I just got talking to him. And he says, how long have you been sober? I said, you know, five years, <clears throat> you know, three months and a few days. He says, what do you do? I said, I'm a. I'm a biology professor. He goes, how long have you been doing that? I said, 16 years. And he just, and Dana put, pointed out on it too. He just had that look of, wait, you can do what you do and be an, a recovering alcoholic. And it kind of, I like to think it sets something off. And it goes, well, what's, what's stopping me from doing something different? Exactly. Because I, and this is, this is one of the reasons when, when Dana came to me, because she was the driving force behind this and said, do you want, you know, it's coming up on your three-year anniversary. Can we tell people about this? And we were in the local paper, and I thought, I'm going to be in trouble at work, and I wasn't. Everyone went, well done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're so afraid no. of what people think, yeah. but it's what a, what a nice surprise to feel so supported, huh? Yeah, and I just thought, when she started, I said, yeah, three years. And I talked to people about openly. I said, you know what, the hell with it. It's, it's not my problem. Someone has a problem with the fact that I used to be an alcoholic. Well, I am an alcoholic, but I used to be a drunk. You're recovered. I'm an alcoholic sobriety, you know. Yeah. So let's do it. But that was it was Dana's idea, and I'm glad she came out with it. I'm also I'm glad I said yes because she really. If I had said no, we wouldn't have done any of this. So right, yeah. God bless Dana Delval for <laughs> bless doing Dana. It. I mean, we've. It's amazing how many people we've reached. You know, about a year ago, I phoned up the IT department. At, at MSUM where I worked to, to thank them because they did a quick um, extra exam for me in finals week. And so they said, yeah, Scantrons are done. And it's on the guy on the phone said, while you're here, as I just want to say, I, I listened to your, your, you and your wife's program and you're doing great work. I thought, wow. <laughs> you know, we get random things like that locally all the time. And of course, 
you always want to build your audience. You know, sometimes you get like 170 views. Sometimes you get 14. You know, but if we just need to get that to get bigger, <laughs> people people are listening to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're doing good work, and it, I, you know, I have had the experience where it, it made me feel like my all my suffering wasn't for nothing, right? And yeah, that's that great. Maybe there's somebody listening who hears something, and it makes the difference for them that day. Yeah, exactly. And if that's all we do. Our work is done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had I had to do something because I we did this because people kept saying to Dana. And, Especially, well, they never said it to me. They always said it to James. What, what happened to you two? You're just happy. What happened to you? That's what's, weird. What's Why are you happy? You're happy. Oh, <laughs> we just said, well, we are. So let's tell people why. Yeah. So we did. No, it's beautiful. Well, I highly encourage everyone to listen to your podcast, Daily Dose. Oh, thank I'll, you. Yeah, I'll leave links in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing oh, your stories today. Well, thank you. For having yeah. me on your show, it's a, it's a it's a pleasure. It's a we'll have, we'll do it again. Thank you so much. You have a great You're day. Welcome. Take care. Bye. One last thing before you go, you can follow the podcast on Instagram for daily inspiration at Odat Podcast. And if you'd like to get a bi-weekly email from me with recommendations to books I'm reading, meditations I love, or other recovery podcasts, just sign up for it at odatchat.com. That's O-D-A-A-T chat.com. And if you do, I hope you enjoy it.